Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And the word of the Lord reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. I want to welcome you back to the sixth part of this sermon series uh, titled Saving a Generation, which we have subtitled it Biblical Direction for for Family and Community Life in the Postmodern World and it has been my sincere hope that through this series, um, <clears throat> to this point, that it has drawn you closer in your relationship with God. And it has helped you to see what is happening in the world around us and, and what's happening for this next generation. Um, and I also uh, hope that it's inspired you to get involved and stand in the gap for, uh, for this generation and every generation. And as you know, <clears throat> if, you've been here, uh, if, if, if you've been here the whole time... Uh, this is a very serious subject, and we have talked about some very important issues related to family and community. But today, we're, we're going to talk about some things that really few people want to talk about. Things that are really vital to the spiritual, and emotional, and mental health, and the physical health of this next generation. And in the course of the conversation today, we're going to probably talk about some things that are sensitive to some people. And some things that might be uncomfortable to talk about. And I, and I mention this because I just want you to be prepared I, I want you to be ready, and I also need you to understand that, that we're going to touch on a couple of things that really need to be addressed in this next generation, but also in our own generations. We need to talk about a couple of things that the church really has just not done a good job addressing in the last 20 years. You see that there are some things that really need to be talked about, but for some reason, <clears throat> we just don't want to talk about it. But the time has come. If we're going to rescue, if we're going to help to rescue this next generation, then we need to be, we need to no longer be willfully ignorant of the things that are happening in this world, the things that are happening in our community and things that even happen in our own homes. And so we're going to talk about a few things and have a very frank discussion today. But before we jump into all that, let me just set this conversation up. We're in a series where we began with the idea, uh, because we're told that we're one generation away from Christianity going extinct. And uh, we've come to know that this isn't so much an empty kind of emotional plea. The fact is 75% of Americans profess to have faith in in Christ, but only 31% of them actually practice their faith. And 18% of them actually have a worldview that's actually shaped by the Bible. The worldview being the way that you see the world and and yourself in it and and how you live and make decisions. But even more concerning than that is, is... the fact that this generation is rejecting faith at a rate double that of every other previous generation before it. And which leads us to, to the question of how. How did we get here? How did, how did this happen? And what we discovered, there's a number of factors that contribute to this. But we've really tackled four, I think, four of the most important ones. Or four of the ones that we could actually do, do something about. And the first one we touched on is the church growth movement. Um, the 20th century was marked by great growth in the church numerically. Evangelicalism um, really uh, did a great job of, of reaching people for the gospel. 
The problem was it was that was all it was about was reaching people for a decision, getting people into a seat, having them hear something, and then praying some prayer. Um, and, and really it became about, you know, what can we do to get people here? What kind of tricks can we do to get him there? And it became more about entertainment and, and getting people in seats rather than discipleship and, and robust theology and, and, and transformed lives. And so what it left us with was a, an anemic, uh, theologically weak church. And then you have materialistic philosophy. There's a philosophy of materialism that undergirds a lot of what people assume about the world. In fact, we don't even know that we're influenced by it. In fact, many of, this, many of the sciences and philosophies, most people believe that they're founded on that. And the idea of materialism is this, that there's nothing outside of the material world. There's nothing supernatural. And many, even Christians, kind of hold to some of those tenets and, and views. That's why so many people have such an unsupernatural view of Christ and an unsupernatural view of the Word of God. And then there's the promotion, as we talked about last week, of anti-authoritarian attitudes. We've raised a generation of children who just don't respect anyone. They don't respect police officers. They don't respect teachers. They don't respect their parents, their neighborhood. They don't respect anybody in authority, much less the word of God. And then we have the rise of the digital age, the rise of the historic age that we live in now that's defined largely by digital technology. And in the last five weeks, we have, we have had some very deep conversations about all of these things and what we need to do uh, to change the, the tide here. And a really quick summary of that conversation kind of goes like this. The solution to saving this generation is founded on the only real power we Christians have, and that is the power of the gospel. That's the only power we really have access to. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to individuals and entire generation. It is the gospel that saves. It's not programs that save. It is not gimmicks that save. It's not fads. It is not secular organizations. The gospel is the power of God to save, which means we need to preach the gospel and make disciples, which is exactly what Jesus calls all of us to do, is to make disciples. He calls us to to help people come into a right relationship with him and then and then teach them to walk with him in a lifelong relationship where they learn uh, to love God and love other people and teach them uh, to do the same things we are to make disciples and help other people to make disciples but but where we need to begin is really at home we need to begin to make disciples out of our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews and our parents and cousins and and our co-workers and our family members, right? We need to begin within the circle of our own influence. Yes, we need to go make disciples of all the nations. Yes, but we need to begin to make disciples of the people in our greatest circle of influence. And, 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 and a part of that is to preach and to model, right, the gospel. And the way that we do that is we do that by standing up for marriage, both inside and outside of marriage, because marriage is a living model of the gospel, and we do that by training up our children in the faith, that we train them up, and then we give them a choice to make whether they want to follow Jesus when they become adults. We make their childhood about being immersed in Christian culture and immersed in faith. That way they can make an intelligent decision then. We also do that by creating a life of discipleship at home. That, just, that we don't just talk about discipleship, we model discipleship. And we also do that by modeling the spiritual disciplines in our own lives we want to see our children uh, have. Right? We, we need to show them what it looks like to be in prayer. We need to show them what it looks like to be in the word. And, and we also do this by teaching our children obedience. Obedience to God, obedience to his word, and the God-given authorities in his life beginning with their parents. 
And that's what we've covered so far. But this morning, I want to turn the corner and we just need to have a really just face-to-face frank conversation about the digital age and the technology that are, that are impacting this next generation. And what we need to realize is there is a truth about this next generation. There's a truth about the world that they are growing up in that we absolutely just need to embrace. Because until we embrace the truth, we will never understand them. And we will never understand the magnitude uh, and of, of influence that this digital age has on our children and our grandchildren and the young people in our community. And the truth is this. Generation Z lives in a world that's far and away and vastly different than the world that we grew up in. Completely different. Please understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. Right? The world they live in is not our old world with some digital technology slapped on it. Right? The world they inherited is different than the world that we grew up in. You see, the thing is, I remember when I was a child, when I, not a child, when I was a teenager, I finally was able to buy a car. And I remember that it had, like all cars, one of them old AM and FM radios. And I was excited about the fact that I finally had a little money to where I could actually put one of them newfangled tape decks in there. And some of you don't know what those are, but that's okay. Uh, we could put one of those tape decks in there with, with, with the radio and had all the, the pretty green lights because it was really popular back then. Green lights and buttons and stuff like that. And so you have this really beautiful you know, piece of equipment in this really ugly beat up dash, right? That's, right? So what we had was my old car with some new technology attached to it. Well, the thing is, is the world is not like that, okay? The digital world has not, has, it actually has changed everything. The digital world has not just taken our old world and put some new bells and whistles on it and some new lights. The digital age has changed our world completely. It's changed everything. I mean, every part of your life has been touched by digital technology. When's the last time that you actually took out a big old piece of paper, unfolded it, and looked for directions on that thing called a map? Right? When was the last time you actually went and, and you're in the minority? <laughs> Richard's old, but not you. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what about when you're know, going and actually to a place to, to a thing that's hooked to the wall and picking up a receiver and listening for a dial tone? Was the last time you've done that? Right? What about, was the last time that you actually took a paper dictionary out to look for how to spell a word or a definition? Or, or how about this? When's the last time you had to wait until the evening news or tomorrow morning's paper to find out what the score was of the game? Right? When's the last time that you actually went to a store and physically purchased music? Right? Or, 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 or movies? How many of you actually have, have made at least one purchase in your lifetime on Amazon? Everybody, right? How many of you made a purchase like last week? Most of you. You see that? Right? Digital technology has changed everything. Right? It's changed the way we shop. It has changed uh, the way we communicate. It certainly changed how we learn. It's changed the way that we interact with other people. It has changed how we pay our bills and conduct our finances. It has changed everything. And for every other generation, except the new one, every other generation, we lived in a world that these technologies didn't exist. We remember what life was like before the technology, right? We, we, we remember what it was like to have to stand in one place and talk on the phone, right? Because you couldn't, because there was a cord hooked to you, right? We remember those times when there was a little beep, beep, beep on your hip, right? And then you had to go and find a place where they had pay phones and you had to put coins in. Remember, you remember when you actually went to a place and you actually had to go and, and, and rent a, a cassette tape so you can go home and then watch a movie and then, then they, paid, they charged you more money when you didn't rewind that thing, 
right? right? We remember those times, right? And, and you know what? And guess what? We remember times even before that. I remember, I mean, seriously, I remember like when we got a microwave when I was a kid, like it was like the most exciting time. We, we, we witnessed the technology. We've lived through the changes. We've grown accustomed to them, but we, we know that there was a difference. But this next generation understands they don't know anything else. They don't know anything else but this digital world. They grew up playing with your old smartphone, right? How many of you have had your child break your, your phone? All right, a few of you. All right, there we go. You know what I'm talking about. We've let our kids play with our technology. They grew up learning their ABCs on the, on the, on the iPad, right? They know how to download apps. They grew up watching videos on how to do things, right? They're better actually more able to use technology than you are. In fact, I remember a story about Richard's grand, uh, granddaughter, Emily, uh, when she was like three years old. And she was trying to say something to her mom and communicate what she wanted. And her mom's like, really not paying attention. So she just grabs the phone, starts looking it up on YouTube, right? She finds a video. And if that's not good enough, she goes swipe and she puts it up on the TV. And everybody else is like, how did she do that? She's three years old, right? Because she, she grew up in it. It's just the way the world works for them, right? This is, this is the world that they grew up in. Generation Z has taken to the digital technology age like ducks take to water. It's just second nature to who they are. And what you need to understand then is every facet of their lives, every part of their life is impacted by technology. The way they think, the way they process information, the way they even see the world. In fact, there's been studies done that brain scans of teenagers today, when they, when they compare them against teenagers just a generation before, they see there's a, there's a difference in just the way their brains are actually developing. There's a difference in brain structure. There's a it's a literal difference in the way they process and understand the world. It's almost like it's a part of who they are, that, that, that digital technology is a part of their DNA, which means, right, this is something we're going to struggle to understand, right? We're, we're going to struggle to understand this next generation. But what we also need to realize is the effects of this, the digital age, the effects on this generation, we will not fully understand for decades to come. I mean, we know that the next generation is different, right? We can see that they're different and they experience the world differently, but the extent of those differences, right? Those extent of that impact on their lives will not fully be realized or understood for years and decades to come. But what we need to know is these differences are not simply minor variations or tweaks, right? They are radical differences. They're radical shifts, for example, Generation Z is continually, from the beginning of their life, exposed to vast amounts of, of unfiltered information. That's just kind of the world they grew up in. We grew up with card catalogs, right? We grew up with having to go to a library to, to find things. They grew up with vast amounts of information right now. And it's the only world they've ever known. We live in a world of abundant, overflowing, overwhelming, instant information. You want to know how to fix something? YouTube it. You want to know how to spell a word? Google it. Who's done this? Okay, Google, how do you spell? Yes, exactly. You want to get directions to the nearest Chinese restaurant? Yelp it, right? You want to know the difference between postmodernism and modernism? Then just go to Wikipedia. It'll tell you. Through, through the handheld devices that we hold in our hands, even the ones in our children's hands, we have access to more information now than at any time in all of civilization combined. 
The sheer volume of information is, is, is hard to even imagine. Right? But it does come with some problems. The first one is that the internet is filled with both good and bad information. There is information online that is helpful, but there's information that's also harmful. There's information that is absolutely true, and there's information that's patently false. Information that helps us to learn and, and to grow, and there's information that actually can make you more ignorant and really more stupid. And the problem is, is it's, it's not always easy to know the difference between the two. Especially for younger people who really have no research experience and really have not been taught to set aside their assumptions and their own preconceived ideas when they are doing research. You see, what's worse is not just is the inf- information unfiltered. The information um, that they actually believe and trust is actually the information that best fits their assumptions. Right? The information that they believe, the, the, the things that they listen to, are, 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 are the things that they agree with, right, are the ones that fit their own preconceived ideas. What fits me, right? Really, what, 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 bet, what, what best lines up with my preconceived idea? What do I in, you know, already am I inclined to believe? And when they find it, right, when they find it, it just validates them. Because every single point of view, and I want you to hear me on this, every point of view that possibly can exist, there's a YouTube channel for it. (laughs) There's a YouTube channel that will provide you information on just about every idea, no matter how crazy it might seem. You might, you know, you might be someone who says, well, you know what? I think, I think angels are just aliens from another planet, right? And guess what? You can go to YouTube and you can find people who believe that. And they believe that they have the information to prove that. You know, you know what the, what the, the craziest thing in my mind is, is, is there are people who believe that the world is flat. I just, I, I, that just staggers my imagination. And there are, there are dozens of YouTube channels of people that are dedicated to proving that the world is flat, even though there's, you know, like bazillions of hours of information. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is no matter how crazy the idea might be, there's always, you can always find it. It doesn't matter what you're, you know, whether you are conservative or liberal, whether you are an atheist or whether you are an agnostic, whether you're a Buddhist or whether you are Muslim. You can always find somebody who has a YouTube channel that will propagate your point of view. And it's not just YouTube. There's millions and millions of websites on the Internet that promote those things. And the problem is, is our tendency Right? Our natural tendency, not just children, but even our adult natural tendency is to seek out all the information that validates our preconceived idea rather than critically examining the evidence to see if it's real or valid or if it's fake. Right? And, then, and then setting aside our preconceived notions long enough to follow the evidence where it actually goes. And Generation Z has all access to this information, even at their very young and impressionable age, which means... This next generation is building a complex worldview at a very young age. Man, worldviews are tricky things. Because a worldview is really your perspective on everything. It's like the foundational lens by which you see everything else. It's, it answers the question of who am I? What am I here for? What's my life about? How am I supposed to treat other people? It's the, it's the foundational framework, your philosophy of life. And the difficulty is, is worldviews in the past really didn't get shaped until much later in life. It was more flexible with kids, 
right? The worldview that, that they, they have usually took longer and, and, it, and it took shape over time and it solidified in adulthood. But younger and younger kids and teens are developing a hardened and rigid worldview of reality about a, really a lot of important issues, right? And, and this worldview is actually being shaped less and less by parents and families and teachers and churches and more and more by the culture and more and more people that by people who publish information on the internet. <clears throat> this worldview is, is being shaped by forces like YouTube, who has an agenda. Facebook, Twitter, Google, Wikipedia. And this ultimately means that our ability, your ability to help shape and influence the next generation is greatly diminished because you're competing with all of those other voices. But that's not all. Another issue that we're facing with Generation Z is they're experiencing a dramatic reduction in their ability to concentrate and to think critically. Studies have found that, 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 that this generation, because of the abundance of information, um, can't seem to concentrate They're losing their ability to think because the digital age, these children are overstimulated. These these teenagers, young adults are overstimulated. They're surrounded by images all the time and videos and sound bites and their attention span is suffering. They can't stay focused for very long. They're easily, easily bored and they need to continue to be stimulated by something new, which means they struggle to read a book. They, they struggle to think deeply. They struggle with quiet time. They struggle to meditate and to concentrate, which means they have a tendency to engage in really shallow, casual thinking instead of the kind of thinking that really needs that you need to have to shape an effective worldview. The Bible over and over and over again admonishes us and exhorts us to slow down and to meditate. Meditation is something the Bible talks about over and over again. Meditate on the word. Meditate on the precepts of God. Meditate, meditate, meditate. Think, think, think critically. Examine, slow down. Actually, the word meditate actually has to do with almost like digestion, taking things apart, right? But this generation is losing the ability to do that. And then there's the fact that Generation Z has experienced more and more of the world through a screen rather than in person, In fact, one of the strangest things I've noticed about uh, kids Carson's age is oftentimes they would rather stay at home and play a video game online with their friends rather than actually hanging out playing real games with their friends in person. If if you're a parent, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know what Fortnite is all about, right? If you have grandkids, you probably know about that too, right? If you're a coach, you also understand the impact of this. Because this, this kind of technology is ruining athletes because they don't want to do anything. They just want to sit and play video games. They don't want to get outside and play real games. But it's not just the games. Most people, actually more and more people, would rather text someone than talk on the phone. In fact, one of the, one of the things I hear more and more, even out of adults, is I hate talking on the phone. We would rather just have that little quick screen. We'd rather have that distant communication instead of that person-to-person Voice-to-voice communication. There's a growing trend that people prefer, you know, uh, uh, to interact via social media and their games and, and messages and, and Snapchats and, and, and messaging rather than eyeball-to-eyeball, person-to-person, you know, in the same room communication. One of the funniest things that I think I've seen is, is when you watch a video of someone who is, like, messaging someone, 
right? And then they, they type the, 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 the letters LOL, laugh out loud, right? And they have a little laughing, smiling face while they're sitting there just as, as serious as can be, right? There's not even like any real emotions there. But people would rather have the digital communication rather than the eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face communication. And this is leading to a growing, growing isolationism. See, the thing is, people tend to already be isolationists. We tend to already want people to leave us alone. Right? But this is making it worse. People are preferring more and more to be alone. They're preferring less and less human contacts. And this is also leading to a greater sense of social anxiety because people who are confident online and boisterous and vocal online, they get in front of people and they struggle to interact with other people. They feel out of place. They feel like people are staring at them. And this leads to depression and all kinds of negative psychological effects. But, but perhaps the most <clears throat> devastating effect of the digital age, and what we're probably going to spend most of our time talking about, is the fact that this culture that Generation Z has been born into is the porn culture. Because just like the fact that Generation Z has been born into a digital world, it has also been born into a world of pornography. Because pornography is everywhere. It is all around us. In fact, let me just share with you what the data is. Not my opinion. Let's just talk about data. The, the The pornographic industry is a $13 billion a year industry Considering the fact that 90% of people who consume pornography do so for free. So I want you to let that sink in for just a second. With, with 90% of customers actually using it for free, it's still a $13 billion a year industry. What that means is it's gigantic. And online, pornography is the most common search term. In fact, last night when I checked, there's a running tally. Last night when I checked, there have been over 7,700,000 searches for pornography since 2017. In fact, one out of every five internet searches on a mobile device, 20% are for porn. Not to mention that 24% of people with mobile devices admit to having pornographic material on their device right now. That's one quarter of people who own phones. But it gets worse. Nearly 70% of adult men and 20% of adult women use porn at least once a week, 52 times a year. But let's talk about the church. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. Christian men and Christian women at least once a month. Now, you might gasp at that, but, but the problem is, is the acceptance is growing because people are growing up with this. 67% of young men, men under 30, and 49% of young women under 30 say that viewing pornography is, accept, is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. And the reason, again, for that is because they've grown up with it. It's just normal to them. And here's why it's normal. Nine out of ten boys... And 6 out of 10 girls will be exposed to pornography online before the age of 18. And the average age for a boy to be exposed to pornography is 8. 8 years old. That's the average age. Which means there are older ones and there means there are younger ones. But it gets worse. 
83% of boys, 57% of girls are exposed to group sex online. 69% of boys and 55% of girls are exposed to same-sex intercourse online. 32% of boys and 18% of girls are exposed to bestiality online. 15% of boys and 9% of girls are exposed to child pornography online. We're talking about the very worst kinds of things. 28% of 16 to 17-year-olds have unintentionally been exposed to pornography online. 39% of boys and 23% of girls have seen sexual bondage online. But more than that, boys, of the boys, 23% have said they tried to stop watching. They want to stop watching, but they cannot stop. And almost 40, um, excuse me, and 13% of boys have reported the content that they watch has become more and more and more extreme. But that's not just the websites. 20% of 16-year-olds and 30% of 17-year-olds have received what's known as a sext, which is a sexually explicit text message from someone else. Almost 46% of teenagers say sending sexual and naked photos or videos is just a part of everyday life for teenagers nowadays. But here comes the part I think that should be the most troubling for us. Because we parents and we community members have been ignoring this problem for too long. You see, 12% of parents actually know that their teenagers are accessing pornography. Just 12%. While the 71% of teens have admitted that they have done something to hide their online activity from their parents. Now, I know that's a lot for me to just throw out there and dump on you this morning. And if you want those statistics, what I've done is I've actually produced a sheet for them on the back table. I just didn't want to put it in the bulletin because I just didn't want you to walk in and look at that, you know. I wanted to be able to prep you for that. So there's a sheet on the back table there where you can take those. I think those are statistics you you should know or at least be aware of, right? But what we need to understand is, 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 is we need to admit to ourselves is if you have a teenager that has unrestricted, unmonitored access to the internet, they're probably looking at pornography. Especially if they have a handheld device that you do not check up on. In fact, it's almost virtually guaranteed. And what we need to understand is, is that the porn culture and all of these other things are shaping and they're changing our children and the effects on them is absolutely not healthy. Not physically, not mentally, not emotionally, not even spiritually. The fact is that life in the digital age is dangerous for them, and especially for Generation Z, because they grew up with this like this is normal. Right? Abundant information, short attention spans, life through a screen, and the porn culture, all normal to them. It's a part of the way things are for them. And it will continue to be that way unless... We teach them differently. So what we need to do is we need to teach them differently. We must train our children and this generation that this is not normal, that this this is not the way that it should be. We need to change their minds and their hearts, which means we need to train them to live differently. We must train them to live victoriously in the digital age and not be victims, but to be victors of the digital age. As the Bible tells us, Train up your child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We must not simply teach our children information. We must not just give them head knowledge. We must not just give them facts. We must get into their lives. 
and actively train them in how they are to live. Because the goal is, is to raise parent, is, is to parent children and to help them to grow up to be healthy, well-adjusted, God-honoring, productive adults. That's the goal, is to raise healthy, well-adjusted, God-honoring, productive adults. The goal is to train them to be able to stand on their own two feet with clear heads and clean hearts. The goal is to prepare them to face the world in a way that honors God in all that they do. And that's what we're to train them for. We need to train them not simply to live in the digital age, but to live a life of victory in the digital age. That's what we're called to do. But how do we do that? Well, I believe that there's a text in the Bible, several thousand years old, that can still shed some light on that. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to a little curveball because we started in Romans. We're going to come back to Romans. But Proverbs chapter 4. See, this is a proverb that was written from a father to a son. And the point of this proverb is to teach the son to walk in wisdom so that they can have a long, fruitful, and victorious life. And the problem, and, and, and this proverb, the, 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 the father discusses several specific instructions that are all designed to help. But there's one piece of advice in this proverb that I think... Um, and I believe that we all need to hear, we certainly all need to memorize, and we need to teach to our children. And we're going to begin in verse 20 where it says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your hearts, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Or in other words, you need to listen to real carefully about what I'm to say to you. You need, to be, you need to open your heart and receive what I'm about to say and take it in and hold on to it. Because what I'm about to say to you will bring you life. What I'm about to say to you will change your life. What I'm about to say to you is extremely important. And then he says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the, the springs of life. And that might seem anticlimactic because you might say, well, okay, was that me? Like, how do I keep my heart with all... I don't understand. Well, the thing is, is I'll admit the ESV in this particular text doesn't really make it very clear. But, but, the, but there is a clear idea here. In fact, let me share with you how the NIV renders it. And it says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation paraphrases it this way and says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Which now suddenly it becomes very clear what the Father is saying. The idea here is we need, what we need to do is we need to guard our hearts. We need to teach our children to guard their hearts. We need to protect our hearts because every part of our life is lived out of our hearts. Now, obviously, he's not talking about the muscle that's in your chest that pumps blood. What are they talking about when they say heart? They're talking about the seat of your consciousness. They're talking about that internal part of you where your will and your, where your, where your ability to make decisions is, where you reason from, your decision-making faculty, who you are internally. That's your, your heart. It's the center of your will, your volitional will. And what we're being told is we need to guard that. We need to protect that. In fact, we need to protect it at all costs. Why? Because out of your hearts, out of this part of you, out of your consciousness, out of who you are in here, all of your decisions and your attitudes and your actions come from. As Jesus reminds us very painfully, he says, from within, out of the heart, a, 
of men comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. All these things come from an unguarded heart that's polluted by sin and polluted by the influence of the world. And so we're going to save the next generation if we're going to help them to overcome the the, the influence of digital technology in their lives. We've got to teach them to guard their hearts, which means we need to teach them and we need to train them to be careful about what they allow in to their hearts. What they allow to influence their hearts. We need to teach them and train them how to live differently in the digital world. We need to help them to see that the digital world is not the natural world. That the digital world is not the real world. The digital world is supposed to be a tool that helps us in the real world. It's not supposed to be life itself. To borrow from Jesus, we need to teach them to be in the digital world, but not of the digital world. We need to help them to understand the pitfalls of limitless information on demand without, without critical thinking. We need to help them to learn and appreciate the skill of concentration and meditation. We need to help them to exercise and, and value um, the live in-person conversations rather than on the screen. And especially we need to help them to guard their hearts against the pervasive and caustic and devastating uh, culture of pornography. Now, I'll admit this topic is really big enough to warrant its own series all by itself. And my, and, and my aim is to do a parenting workshop in the fall where we can actually take some time and we can really unpack this. Maybe take a few hours and actually bear, bring some resources to bear to where we can help you equip and protect your children and your teens from this pervasive culture. Um, but, 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 but frankly, um, we don't have enough time today. But what we need to understand is this is one of the biggest issues facing our culture. This is one of the biggest issues facing the church. This is one of the biggest issues facing our society at large. The the studies are coming in now, um, and and the results are devastating to what this is doing to relationships, what it's doing to people's psychology. And and, and this is something that's devastating emotionally, physically, spiritually, and, and the consequences will continue to grow. And so we no longer can ignore this. We can no longer assume that our children have not been exposed to this. We can no longer allow our uncomfortable feelings to get in the way of us doing something that needs to be done as parents. And I I believe this begins with us having the courage to talk to our children about this. You need to talk to your children about this issue. I know that you don't want to. I know that it makes you uncomfortable. I know that you might think you don't want to know about your child's viewing habits. But you still need to talk to your kids. Now, to be sure, we need to walk in grace and truth here. We need to be gracious, very gracious. Because what you need to understand, you got to start with, they grew up in a different world than you did. Which means this isn't their fault. The fact that they're exposed to this isn't their fault. It's the world they grew up in. And so you have to be sensitive to the fact that it's all around them. And that they're, that, that they're playing on their natural biological tendencies. And so what we have to do is un, we have to start from an understanding framework and open the door to an open and honest conversation. If we're going to become parents who are going to be bullies right here and be demanding and be forceful, we're going to lose them. Because they'll just do it anyway. 
We need to open the door for a gracious, heartfelt, heart-to-heart conversation. We need to walk in grace. But we also need to walk in truth. We need to explain to them the dangers of this. We need to explain to them the costs of of this sin and all sin. We 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 need to also, hear me, we need to also ask them the question, are you looking at pornography? I know you don't want to ask that question, but you need to ask that question. And then here's the thing. You need to verify the answer. You see, the next thing you need to do as as a parent is you need to monitor your child's internet activity. You need to have a plan for monitoring their activity. You need, which means you need to check, right? You you just need to walk up. You just need to say, let me see your phone. Thank you. And then, and then walk away, right? And then you need to then look at their activity. You need to look at their history. You need to look at their apps and what they're engaged in. And you need to look at the conversations via text and all the messenger things. You need to monitor and look at this. You need to browse their computers and their tablets and their game consoles. You need to physically monitor their online activity, period. And the reason why you need to do that is because your children are going to be struggling to be honest. They're going to struggle to be honest here. And the reason why is because nobody wants to talk about it. 70% of men struggle with with pornography. 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Okay? When you go down the street, count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 out of 10. All right? The odds are you probably picked a few of them that are struggling with it. 7 out of 10 are struggling. Why are they struggling? Because they don't want to talk about it. Because they're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid. People are going to think I'm stupid. People are going to think I'm this or I'm that. They don't have a safe place to have a conversation where they can actually deal with it. So if, if men, grown-up men, are struggling to talk about this subject, then how much more are your kids struggling to tell you about it when they're afraid of you to start with? That's why we've got to walk in grace and truth. That's why we've got to create an open place for them to have a conversation where they feel safe to talk about it. But then we need to always verify what they're doing. You need to be able to monitor what they're really up to and not just take them at their word. You can also use tools. There are a lot of tools now available to help with this, like accountability software, like a covenant eyes. There's many of them. I'm just saying one that I'm really familiar with, which is software that tracks and reports on all of your kids and even your family's internet activity, right? In fact, there's a flyer on the back table next to the stat sheet that you can take and look at, right? It's a great tool, right? It'll help to monitor what your kids are looking at. It'll t- give you a report of everything that they've seen on, across all their devices. And it's a great tool. But here's the thing. You still need to check physically. And you know why? It's because they're smarter than you. <laughs> right? They are adapted to this. They know the ways around it. And if they don't, their friends do. Right? So you need to continue to use tools like this. And then... Um, you also need to then line out a plan for incentives and consequences. You need to reward your children when they are on track and doing right. And I say that is because one of the things that we parents struggle with is catching our children doing something good, catching our children do something right. We're really good about saying, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. We need to be good at also recognizing when they're doing, doing the right things. And so I think that's a part of this is you need to be able to reward them for when they're on track and, and their head is clean, right? 
But I also think that you need to have consequences when they are consuming pornography. We're talking about a health hazard. You will not allow your young child to sit there in the living room playing Russian roulette with your pistol. Okay? And, and I think a, 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 a suitable consequence would be is, hey, all right, we catch you at this, then all electronic devices and internet access is done for a period of time. That'll, that'll help, I promise. But you need to reward good behavior, and then you need also to, to, to inflict discipline when, when the behavior is contrary to that. And, 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 there's, and, and the thing that we need to understand is the things that we just outlined here are just first steps. They're important first steps. But these are only short-term solutions. And, and this is the part that I think that you need to lean in and really hear me on this. Okay? Those are the things that are intended to curb and modify their behavior. They're intended to help act as guardrails to protect your children so you can train them up. Right? But understand, those things that we just talked about are not enough. It's not enough to change your child's behavior. Hear me. It is not enough to change their behavior. You need to change their hearts. Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. And you need to do the same thing for your child. Which means the long-term solution to this problem isn't the barrier that you're going to construct around them to keep porn out. The real solution ultimately is the gospel. Remember, Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power to save. In his letter to the Romans, Paul, Paul describes crystal clear what the gospel is all about and the hope that it, that it gives and what it does in our lives. He explains that the gospel saves us by justification. We are declared righteous before God legally and made right standing with him. It also reconciles us to God. We're saved into a relationship with him. Whereas once we were enemies, we've been forgiven and we don't sit off to the side as like people that God tolerates. We are reconciled into a relationship with him. And the gospel, this is the important one for this, for this matter, sanctifies us. It, it cleans us. It progressively gives us greater and greater and greater power to, to, to say no to sin and temptation, which is exactly what is needed if we're going to overcome the ever-present culture of porn. We need the sanctifying power of the gospel. Your children need the sanctifying power of, of Jesus Christ in their life. That is our hope. That is their hope. The power of the gospel is the hope that we need to help us in this next generation overcome this curse. We need the sanctifying hope that the gospel gives us, which means we must teach them to live in light of that gospel hope. We need to teach them to live lives that are shaped by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is then exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is one of my absolute favorite verses of the Bible, and I could spend the next two hours unpacking it, which I promise you I won't do. Um, and all God's people said, praise the Lord. Um, but Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, Paul right here, is, what he's doing is he's, he's, a, he's telling us, he's about to connect what, what he's about to say with what he's already said in the 11 previous chapters of Romans. In the first 11 chapters, Paul explains in great detail what the gospel is. He explains 
you know, the hope that comes with the gospel, which is justification, reconciliation, our adoption into his family, and, 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 and the glorification that comes that awaits us when we finally meet him face to face. But it also is the sanctific- sanctification, the power to overcome sin. And he says, I appeal to you based on that. I, I appeal to you based on what the gospel can give you. I beg you, right? I beg you in light of what the gospel can do to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, what Paul is telling us is that in light of the gospel, there's a natural way that we should respond to the gospel. There's, a, there's, there's something that we should do based on the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is true, then there's something we should do to live in light of the truth. And Paul tells us there's two things. We need to submit our lives to, the, to God's lordship and we need to renew our minds by the word of God. That is what he's saying here. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present, offer up, yield your body, which includes your hands, which you use to sin, which includes your eyes, which you can use to see good things or evil things, which includes your feet, which you can walk to sin or walk away from sin with. It includes your mind, includes your heart, includes your ears. You're to offer all of that, all of your faculties, all of your body to God as a living sacrifice. And the word sacrifice means something really important here. It means to give it up. That's what sacrifice implies, right? When you sacrifice something, you are giving something up. It costs you something. What's it costing you? It's costing you your right to do the things that you shouldn't be doing with your body. That's what a living sacrifice is. You are to give up your body and to do with it what God has meant for you to do. Ultimately, what this means is surrender to God's lordship. That's the thing that we need to learn. Is we need to learn to live in obedience to him. And we need to do that in a way that he says is holy and acceptable. Not how we think we should, but how God says we should. He says, that is your spiritual worship. You see, worship isn't just us singing songs. Worship isn't us just doing a church service. Worship is your life style. Worship is how you treat other people. Worship is how you, you pay your bills. Worship is how you do your job. Worship is how you raise your children. Worship is all of life. And so the first con- consequence of the gospel is to respond to God by submitting completely into his lordship. That's something we need to live out and that's something we need to teach our children to do. And believe me, I understand how difficult that is, but you've got to do it. We must teach them the gospel and help them to see that a, that a changed heart leads to surrender to God's lordship. It leads to obedience. And then Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, he tells us, not only do we need to surrender to his, to his lordship right, in our life, but he also tells us how to do it. And the way that you, that you do this, the way you live out this command, right, is to not allow the world to, to, to mold you, not to allow the, world, the, the pressure of the outside world to press you into a mold, but instead to be transformed. See, the word conform means just that. It means to press into a mold. In fact, the NIV renders the phrase, uh, do not be conformed to the pattern or mold of the world. And what Paul is saying is that in light of God's mercy, we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And the way we do that is to not allow ourselves to be shaped by the world. Our kids started off that way. 
is not allow ourselves to be shaped by the world, but instead to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And what we need to notice is the word transform and the word conform are very different. They sound the same in English, but in Greek, they from, from two different roots completely. Right? The word conform means an external change. It means to take something and, and, and mold it into the shape of something else. But it's still the same thing. In essence, you take clay, you push it, push it into a mold, it becomes a cup. It's still clay. It's just become a cup. Now, you might have something that looks different, but it's still the same. Where transform is rooted in the idea of metamorphosis. It means, it means to be changed internally. It's a fundamental change. It's to become something else in nature, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a fundamental in, inside-out change. Conforming is reshaping. Transforming is a complete remaking. It's a change to the core. You see, the only way that you and I are ever going to offer ourselves... To God as a living sacrifice. The only way our children are going to do this is not to be made better versions of who we are. The world wants to make you a better version of who you are. You just need to be nice. You just need to be better. You just need to be more polite. You just need to change your behavior. That is not the answer. The world is the answer is not to be made into to, to better versions of who we are, but rather to be made altogether new. We're to be made into something completely different. And that's accomplished by the renewing of our minds. And the only way for our lives and attitudes and our hearts to change enough to live obedient to God and to overcome this porn culture is by the transforming of our minds. Our minds need to be made new. We need to have renewed minds. And we do that through the word of God. You see, we need to unlearn what the world is teaching us about who God is and who we are. And we need to begin to learn what the word of God, what God himself says about who he is and who we are and what it means to be saved and sanctified. We need to learn what God says about life. If we are to live the way that God calls us to live, if we're going to break free and and help our children to break free from the negative effects of the digital age, our minds must be changed and altered and renewed. And notice he doesn't say, by the renewing of your feelings... By the renewing of your emotions. It's the renewing of your minds. There's only one way to renew your mind. And that's through the word of God. The only way that you can renew your mind is to align your thinking with the way God thinks. It's to reject the way the world thinks and accept the way God thinks. And that means that you need to know the word. And you need to help your children know the word. That's the answer, by the way. That's Paul's exhortation right here. Is really to get you to read the word, hear the word, study the word, meditate on the word. That's the solution to living in the digital age, which is, is helping our children submit their lives to the lordship of Christ and help our children to renew their minds continually through the word of God, which ultimately is discipleship. We're back to where we started. The way that we help our children to live victoriously in this age is to make disciples out of them. So parents... And grandparents and aunts and uncles and neighbors. You need to make disciples of those that you have influence over. Because it's always about the gospel. It's always about discipleship. Now let's get really practical as we wrap up. How do we do this? How do we make disciples in a way that helps them to... Helps this next generation live victoriously in the digital age? Well, the first thing we need to do is we just have to model the way. As we said over and over and over again, and you hear me say once more, 
Your children will more attention pay to what you do than what you say. We need to live out the gospel in our own lives. We need to live out the submitting our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we need to live out the renewing of our minds to the word of God. But more than that, we need to be a model of life by being in a face-to-face relationship with your children. You've got to be present with your children. You have to have eyeball-to-eyeball time. Sitting around the table, everybody looking at iPads is not going to work. You see, you see, it's about real communication. It's about real relationships. Your children are going to learn to relate to God by learning to relate to you. It's about modeling the way. And so, and so, and so this should go with, without saying... You should also model the way in keeping your own heart clean of pornography. If you're going to help your kids overcome this danger, then you've got to overcome it yourself. You need to walk in purity. And I'll make an offer to anybody who's struggling with that, 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 that I will have a personal confidential conversation with anyone who struggles with that. And I will certainly be able to help point to sources and tools. And I will be absolutely willing and able to walk the walk with someone and disciple them through that process. We need to walk in purity too. Next, we need to not only model the way, but we need to continually preach the gospel. And we've talked about that. And I know this sounds really simple, but it's just the truth. We need to continually preach the gospel and teach the gospel to our children. We need to remind them over and over and over and over and over again who God is, that he is the sovereign, holy, righteous creator of all things. And we need to remind him of who we are, that we are his creation, right? Who have fallen into sin. And as long as we remain in sin, his wrath abides on us. We need to remind them of the consequences of our sin. And we need to remind them of God's love and grace and mercy. right? And we need to point them continually to the cross and, and, and to the finished work of Jesus. And we need to continually exhort them to continually look upon him and to trust in him alone for their salvation. Next, we need to teach our children spiritual disciplines. <clears throat> we need to teach them... And train them in spiritual disciplines. This is hard, I know. But the world is teaching them other things. We need to teach them to be in the word. We need to teach them to be in prayer. You know, one of the things in my youth group is a consistent thing I ask kids to pray. I don't know how to pray. So no one's ever taught you how to pray. No one has ever taught them to pray. We need to teach our children to pray. And understand, believe me, I'll do the best I can. But you know how much time I have with your kids? Like an hour and a half and a week. If they come all the time. You need, you need to teach them the word. You need to teach them to, to pray. You need to teach them to worship. You need to teach them to fellowship. You need to teach them to serve. You need to teach them to grow in personal holiness. Right? The world is always teaching them thousands of other things. We need to teach them spiritual disciplines. And, and they need, need to learn these to have a spiritual, robust relationship with Christ. And then you need to raise your children in the church. As I said before, you need to raise your kids here or in some Bible-believing church. Your children need the church. Generation Z needs the body of Christ. Christian, the life that we're called to live before God is never intended for us to be doing it alone. The Christian life is always to be lived in community. It is in community we have the support we need to overcome this world. And then finally, we teach them guardrails. To teach them to set guardrails in their lives. This is probably the most, probably the easiest and most practical step. But it's sometimes the hardest one to get to stick. 
So we need, to, we need to teach them one of the best ways to avoid danger is to set up personal barriers and guardrails far enough away from the temptations and sins that keep them out of danger. We need to teach them to have healthy you know, habits with technology. We need to teach them that they, they might need to have a certain time of day that they turn off technology altogether. We need to teach them that, hey, you might not be allowed to use technology at all when there's no adults present. You know, you might have to teach them lots of things, maybe even accountability, right, before God. And I realize that you probably still have some questions. And, and, and like I said, this is a big subject and we're, you know, we're just scratching the surface and then we're going to spend some more talking, time talking about it later on in the fall. I, like I said, I hope to have a workshop where we can spend a few hours together unpacking this and the nuts and bolts. But in the meantime, on the back table, I've provided you a few resources for your, for your use. You can, again, there's the data sheet that, that talks about statistics. There's the sheet on covenant eyes. But there's another sheet that actually has a few of the resources that I think that you should check out. Like the documentary by Kirk Cameron titled Connect. It's really on this subject. It's on the subject of raising kids in a technology world. And it's about an hour long. You can, get, you can rent it or buy it on Amazon. It's really, really easy to, to acquire. Um, but it's really actually inspiring because it deals with the issues, but also provides hope and some practical information. Also on that sheet, you'll find a couple books, um, books that, uh, that I, I recommend. One of them is by Tim Challies. It's titled the, um, the Story After. And I can't remember the author of the other, other book, but it's titled Teens and Screens. Very practical, biblical admonition on how to deal and teach your children to live with this subject. But as we wrap up today, I want to urge you. In fact, I actually want to be like Paul. I want to beg you. I want to beg you in light of the gospel, in light of what God has done for you, to get involved in this arena. I want to beg you to stand in the gap. If you have children or grandchildren or, or nieces or nephews, right, you need to be talking to them about life in the digital age. You need to be, to be raising them and training them, especially you need to be talking to them about the areas of pornography. And I know, I know it's hard and uncomfortable, but, but this is what we need this is what's been laid before us. This is the task at hand that God has given us if we're to save this next generation. Let me pray for you. Father, if there's anything that I know about the people in this room, is that they love their kids. And they love their grandkids and they love their, their great-grandkids. They love their nieces and their nephews. I know that they, they want what's best for them. I know that they want them to grow up healthy and happy. They want them to grow up and live extraordinarily productive lives. They want, to, want them to have great relationships and great marriages. They want them to be emotionally stable and physically okay. And I know that's what their heart is, Lord. But I know at the same time, they struggle, just like I do, to have these very difficult, frank conversations with their kids. And I pray, Father God, that you would help them to do that. I pray that you would help them to walk in that. That they'd be convicted, Lord God, to, to get involved, Lord. To help their children understand that the digital world is not the real world. To help them to see that vast amounts of information isn't always good. To help them to understand that there's value, Lord God, in concentration and meditation. To help them, Lord God, to see that person-to-person communication and conversations are really where it's at. And that, Lord, that you would help them to also 
train their children to deal with the pornography culture that surrounds them. Father, we want to raise up a generation who are healthy and who are in love with you, Lord God. And I pray that you'd inspire all our hearts to do that. And you give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to follow it through. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray your blessing over all the families here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.